Chronicles, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. So you're going to be turning to chapter four, chapter four in first Chronicles. There's two verses that I want to read. It's verse nine and verse 10. These two verses contain all that the Bible says about this one man. His name is Jabez. There's nowhere else in the Bible that there's a mention of Jabez. Everything about his entire life is bookended between verse 9 and verse 10 of Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 4. So if you have found it, I'm going to read from the um, New King James Version because this particular version brings, I think, the nuance out best that describes the interaction between God and Jabez and what happened in his life as a result of this. All right, so 1 Chronicles 4, 9, and 10. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, quote, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that, now listen, that you would keep me from evil, that I might not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. My message this morning is called The Real Prayer of Jabez. Because in 2000, Bruce Wilkinson wrote the book, the now famous book, published The Prayer of Jabez, which became an instant international bestseller. Um, it topped the New York Times bestseller list with 9 million copies sold. Um, it received the Gold Medallion Book of the Year Award from the uh, Evangelical Christian Publishers Association. And the book, The Prayer of Jabez, actually enlarged the territory of the publishers with sales of keychains, mugs, backpacks, Christmas ornaments, scented candles, uh, mouse pads, an album of The Prayer of Jabez music, and in 2002 launched a line of Prayer of Jabez jewelry. So the global phenomenon of the prayer of Jabez and, and the book that uh, became so popular was based on the popular notion or the idea that God is asking his people to ask him to enlarge their territory so that he can expand their influence. And so people, Christians, by the millions, went running into their prayer closets, clutching the prayer of Jabez, and praying for the expansion of their lives. God prosper me. God enlarge me. God expand me. And, um, you know, this message is not a counterpoint to the idea that God wants to do that. Not at all. Because God does want to expand and enlarge his people. But if you don't really understand the prayer of Jabez, you can just walk away with that simple conclusion, as millions of people did. And indeed, there was tremendous prosperity that was produced by the book. Uh, I think the publishers got the lion's share of it with all the little goodies that, uh, that people wanted to buy 
um, to remind them of the prayer of Jabez. Now, the message that people got from the prayer of Jabez is that God wants to prosper you beyond other people if you will be more honorable than they are. Remember it says that Jabez was more honorable than his brethren and it ends up by saying that he prayed that God would enlarge him and the Lord did what? Granted, did he? Granted his prayer. That's absolutely correct. Is that not right? But listen now very carefully. Because the story of Jabez is not about a man who sought to become bigger. It's the story of a man who sought to become better. Listen, in the middle of his prayer, Jabez comes out with it. And he said, oh, that you would keep me from evil that I might not cause pain. Oh, God, keep me from evil that I don't hurt other people. Are you listening? So Jabez doesn't pray, keep evil from me, but rather keep me from causing evil. Are you listening? Not, don't let bad things happen to me, but Lord, keep me from doing bad things to other people. He's not asking God to keep others from hurting him. He's asking God to keep him from hurting others. I discern by the expression of bewilderment on your faces that you can't wait to hear how this unfolds because you were convinced that you had discovered a prayer by which you could go into your prayer closet and your life such as it is. God would bless it if you would simply use that magic revelation that God wants to enlarge. He wants to expand you so you could be a great influence for Him. Don't be discouraged. God does want to do that. But the prayer of Jabez is not about Jabez becoming bigger. It's about Jabez becoming better. Listen, the scripture says, His mother called his name, everyone say it, Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Well, the word Jabez that she named that baby, that she named her son, is the word grieve or sorrow or affliction. And the phrase that is associated, if you look it up, look the definition up, there's a phrase that is the definition of the name Jabez. And that phrase is he makes sorrowful, or more specifically, he will cause pain. So Jabez comes into the world with that epithet sitting over his life. We're not told about the details of his youth or the details of his life, but we can tell by his prayer that by the time he gets around to praying and seeking God, in the heart of his prayer, he's begging God, help me to stop hurting people. Are you listening to me this morning? I don't know how we missed that in the story of Jabez and only focused on enlarge my territory. Expand me. But Jabez says, oh God, oh God, keep me 
from evil. Listen to the direction of the request. There is evil. He's not praying against all the evil out in the world. Lord, don't let it touch me. Don't let uh, uh, persecution from others. Don't let people's attitudes against me prevail. Keep evil away from me. No, no, he's not addressing any of that. But he is concerned about the evil that causes his personality, his character, his behavior to hurt other people. Keep me from evil, not keep evil from me. Do you understand what is is coming to light as we break this verse open? So Jabez is named prophetically by his mother, pain bringer, trouble maker. He will hurt you. He will cause evil. But in this is the true secret of why Jabez was referred to as being more honorable than his brethren. I just think it's fantastic that if you have a temperament, an idiosyncrasy that offends, grates, leads to misunderstanding, uh, hurts, discourages other people, at the same time, simultaneously, you can still be the exact same person Who is more honorable because you have this quality about you that you don't dismiss your own evil, idiosyncratic ways and you go to God about them and you desperately want them to change. That is what was more honorable about him. It was not said that he was better than them. He was more honorable than them and there's a world of difference. How many of you are with me so far? Have I lost everyone completely? All right, so, okay. All right, hang with me. You'll be glad you did. So the secret of why Jabez was referred to as more honorable than his brethren, and ultimately the secret to why the Bible says God granted his request, is that Jabez knew, he knew he was living a cursed life as a pain bringer and he would not accept it. He would not settle into it. He would not embrace it. He did not allow himself to come to that ever popular conclusion that unsaved and saved people alike come to and live in and stand on and defend and insist upon this is the way I am. Are you listening to me? He refused to stay there. He refused to believe that he had to spend the rest of his life as a pain bringer. I'm not clapping my hands at you like a teacher. I'm just, I get a little excited. I don't know what to do. And the Italian in me jumps up and I just... So at any rate, Jabez realizes that He's living a cursed life as a pain bringer. But Jabez, hear me, prayed to be free from the curse that caused other people pain. Instead of praying that God would send people to him who would like him and accept him the way he was. More Christians today lack power. Where is Holy Ghost power in the church today? 
More believers today sing songs, read books, make confessions that they only see one or two percent of actually fulfilled in their lives. Why? And the answer, I believe, needs to first be sought in this concept. That instead of asking God to bend the rest of the world to accommodate me, I need to ask God to change me. Isn't that what people got saved years ago because they believed they were sinners and needed to be saved? What happened to the idea that a new creation in Christ is new because the old was lousy? Where did all that go? Lord, deliver me from the curse that brings pain to others. Not Lord, send me friends that will love me the way that I am. Instead of wasting his prayers trying to make others like him, Jabez took responsibility for himself and went to God with that responsibility. Now, you might be tempted to think, and I don't blame you, Pastor, I think you're reading way too much into this, but let me show you why I know he did just what I said. And let me repeat again, that Jabez took responsibility for himself and went to God with it. How do I know it? Listen to the verse itself. And Jabez called on the God of Israel. Everyone say it, Israel. Why doesn't it say Jabez called on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which would have been typical, which would have been typical of most of these references to people praying to the God of their ancestors. No, he skips over Abraham, Isaac. He mentions Jacob, but he doesn't refer to him as Jacob. He refers to him as Israel, and he specifically pulls Jacob out, and he says, he called out to the God of Israel. That is how I know that Jacob was not interested in staying the way he was and asking God to bless his life so that people would love him and like him and understand him. All I need is a few friends to understand me. Yep, that's all you need to ruin your life. That's all you need to stay the way you are. 10, 20, 30, 40 years and never change. This is why people stay the way they are and they never grow up. They don't mature. They don't change. And yet, we preach a gospel that's all about changing. Do you believe that if the world actually watched people change, that we might see more people running in to places that people go in there, they come out different? I have this friend that... I worked with him. I knew what he was like. I had this woman that worked in the cubicle next to me. I knew what she was like. All of a sudden, she started going to a church. Six months later, I barely recognize her. Her speech is different. Her attitude is different. She's not coming in and with a nasty mood and eating four cups of coffee just to become human. She's different. I don't even see her drinking coffee anymore. Not that there's anything wrong with coffee. Thank you, Jesus. But that... Uh, that uh, all of a sudden, there's a character change in her life. Is it all right to talk about Jesus in the context of character change anymore? Is that still something people are interested in hearing about? Or do they just want to hear about expand my territory? Enlarge me. 
Why would God want to expand pain? Why would God want to prosper bad character? Why would God want to enlarge a pain bringer? He knew that God was not the least bit interested in prospering people for the sake of expansion. He knew that God was the God of Israel. Listen to me. Who is the God of Israel? He is the God who took a young man named Jacob, was named Jacob, which means subplanter. And Jacob twice upended his brother Esau, cheated him out of his birthright. He was a little bit on the crooked side. And that was embedded in his nature. That's what Jacob was. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, one of the patriarchs. God said, this will never do. We can't have you going through life being Jacob. I've tolerated it. I've put up with it. I've even worked through your life as you behaved as Jacob. But we can't have you being Jacob. We can't have you staying Jacob. If you're truly going to be a patriarch, if you're truly going to be the man of God that will produce the 12 tribes, I'm not going to give 12 tribes to the, uh, I'm not going to send to the world the 12 tribes of Jacob. I'm going to send to the world the 12 tribes of Israel. And the name Israel means a prince with God. A man who has character and walks in the character of Christ so that God gives him power and authority. Do you know why they changed his name? He wrestled with God. There was another man wrestled with God to be blessed, said, yeah, I'm going to bless you. Maybe not the way you think, but when I'm done with you tonight, we're done wrestling. You're going to walk with a limp. You know, you're not going to be as fast as other men. You're not going to be as powerful as other men. But you're going to have a different attitude. You're going to have a different mouth on you. You're not going to run around making excuses for yourself. You're going to walk in the fear of the Lord. You're going to know who your God is. That's the one that got the 12 tribes. That's the one that God blessed. That's the one that God enlarged. You see... Jabez was looking back at Jacob and he said, that's the God that I need to talk to. I need to talk to the God. I, I don't know that I'm up for this wrestling. I don't know that I'm up for having to walk with a limp. I don't know that I'm wanting God to hurt me. Now, you, I'm speaking metaphorically. We know that the Lord is love. But I don't think, I think there's many Christians they have no idea that God chastens people. I think there's believers today that if they, if, if you pulled uh, Hebrews chapter 12 out and read the section about no chastening for the present seems to be joyous but grievous, they'd say, the devil sowed some bad seed into the Bible. This is, I don't know how that chapter got in there. If you were to go into Matthew chapter 16, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Die to yourself and live to me. People would be puzzled. What does that mean? People think that that's just an attitudinal shift, a, a, a theological shift, a, an intellectual shift, that you change in your mind, you kind of die to your old thinking. No, it has to do with the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you behave, the way you solve problems, the way you meet challenges in your life and deal with them. Are you listening to me? God wants people who are Christ-like. 
And those are the people that he is eager to elevate. Those are the people. And let me tell you, no, it's not easy. I know that you think there's some people, because you see them in movies, who are just like Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. They're just born Christian. They're just, they just walked in the fruit of the Spirit. They came out of the womb just, just you know, flowers and fruit of the Spirit and all of that stuff. But listen, that is not so. We're all sinners, every single one of us. And the Bible says some people's sins go in front of them. It's obvious. You see them coming, she goes, oh, here comes so-and-so. Because their particular idiosyncratic ways are very, very evident. And it's easy to make fun of people like that. It's easy to criticize them. And I want to warn you not to do that. Because we all have those things in our life. And just because yours are a little less visible, just because you're good at, at hiding them, don't think they're hidden from God because God sees them. God sees that we all have a Jabez inside of us that needs to cry out to him to be transformed. Oh God, help me to stop causing pain. One of my favorite um, Stories, uh, children's stories, is the story about the king who bought the invisible clothing. We all know the story. How, how because of his pride, and he was so proud about how he looked, uh, he left himself wide open because of his pride for somebody to, to come, some smart salesman, and sell him a bolt of nothing and say it was this beautiful cloth. And uh, he had them tailor him an outfit out of this beautiful cloth. And, and he went parading naked down the street. And you know how it is. And, and everybody was going, oh, the king looks awesome. Shut up, don't say anything. But then little Davy comes out from behind his dad's uh, leg for just a moment and says, look, dad, the king's naked. Leave it to a child to say the obvious. I love that story because it really has to do with what Jabez was dealing with. How that we have a tendency in life to be blind to our own pride. The thing that we are proud about. But you, you need to understand your pride is your biggest enemy. There is no devil, no gigantic eight-foot uh, yellow-eyed, blood-dripping, fanged devil that is as dangerous to your life as your own pride. For the Bible says, the pride of your heart hath deceived you. When pride takes a hold of you, you are blind to it. You don't see it. Others do. And in my life, that has happened to me more times than I even want to admit to. I, you can't even get me to tell the stories of when I have behaved like that, when I've done that. But I've got friends sitting in this congregation this morning that I've known for 30 to 40 years. And they have seen times, and they are, they are nice enough to not bring them up. But I can tell you that it was only in the rear view mirror of conviction and a good wife that I was able to see what I did and what I said. And once I finally, and sometimes it was hard. Sometimes God had to get me by the back of my skull and go, you will look at that. No, I won't look at that because that's not true. I didn't. I was, and we justify ourselves. I reacted like that because, because, but, 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 but. And if you don't get your butt out of these things in your life, 
Until you do, you're not going to see what it is God is really after in you. And here I thought everybody would thought that what I said and what I did was spectacular and wonderful until I really saw it. And then I wanted to crawl under a log and never come out again. It was the most horrible feeling. And let me tell you, and I know I can, you can relate to what I'm saying. When you realize that pride has deceived you into a behavior that's awful, that the awfulness of the, of the awful feeling is that you cannot do a thing about it. It's done. And all of us should come to a place in our life where we say, I'm done. I am finished. I am fed up. I am sick and tired. I am through excusing myself. I believe I serve a God who can change me. I believe there's a God who can make me into a man or make me into a woman. I'm not... Need to be careful today, you know, because you get a whole bunch of people jump up and go, yeah, preach it, preacher. Oh, yeah. So we, we serve a God who is waiting for us to get to that place where we say, I can be different. I can be better, but you have to see it. And, you know, our good friend Jabez saw it. No wonder millions of people all over the world ran to buy those Jabez music CDs, Jabez books. There's nothing wrong with it. And Bruce Wilkinson, God bless him. I mean, he found this two-verse testament of a man in the Bible and saw a great truth in it. But the prayer of Jabez received a lot of criticism after about a year or so. And it was criticized as being just more preaching of the prosperity gospel. And unfortunately that the arrows of opposition were shot at the, at the biblical principle of prosperity. And that is not what should have been criticized because God wanting to prosper His people is a genuine biblical reality. People did not carve deep enough into the prayer of Jabez and find what the real truth was and at the same time discern what the error was. The error was that Jabez was not going to God saying, make me better and big, make me bigger than everyone else. Make me a better man is what he prayed. And then in the confidence of asking God to make him a better man so that he would not hurt other people, he said, and expand me and enlarge me. I love the fact that when we become broken and we come to the place where we truly know that we have put the request into our Heavenly Father, to become a person that does not cause pain to others, we feel then confident to ask God to expand and to prosper us. You know, I know in my own life that I have a hard time getting prayers out for God to bless or to advance me when there's a little nagging voice of condemnation on the inside saying, yeah, but, but look at the way you've been behaving. And the way as a good pastor, if you're going to help somebody in that position or if you're going to counsel your own soul in that position is not to just rub them on the back or, or pat your own self on the back and say, now, now, don't put up with condemnation. Not all condemnation should be ignored. Sometimes condemnation is there for a reason. And while no condemnation is good in that God uses it to produce better results in our life, 
it is a good warning flag that something isn't right. How we deal with a condemnation, that is where the road forks, where you can either just stay condemned and defeated, and God does not want that, or we could see that condemnation and say, well, the devil is having a field day with me. He's beating me up. I know the Father doesn't want me to be defeated, doesn't want me to be under the devil's. But my God, stop dismissing those moments of condemnation by saying, that was just the devil trying to condemn me. And just throw it behind you and say, forget, and go on and never change. Use the opportunity like Jabez did to go to God and say, Lord, that issue that the devil's condemning me over, I know condemnation's not of you, but so that this doesn't keep coming up, change me. Keep me from evil. Help me to be the woman or be the man that doesn't keep going there. You know what I mean, going there, going to that place. Raise up in me an opposition. Raise up in me a position that I myself am declaring war on that weakness, that idiosyncrasy, and I am determined to let you transform once again a Jacob into an Israel because that's what God's called you to be. But you must take hold of your own transformation. You must take responsibility, dare I say it, for your own transformation. God knows you can't transform yourself, but if you don't take hold of it with the responsible attitude and make yourself a partner with God in the process, you're not magically going to be transformed. If any man be in Christ, He's a new creation. Old things pass away. What is that being in Christ? It's honesty. It's, it's, it's coming to God in, in accountability and being honest and broken over not the fact that other people don't like me, but the fact that there's things about me that are unlikable. Woo, that was an opportunity right there. Can you say Amen. Oh, if it were all that simple. People are so darn childish today. Oh, they don't like me. Everybody is supposed to like me. That's why our society is ripping itself apart because these arguments that we're having are on such a childish and shallow level. The most important elements that need to be brought to bear to solve these issues are never brought up. Because people think I should be accepted. People should like me. And we know how ridiculous that is. But then they run to the other extreme. And the other extreme is, well, then I should just condemn myself and they swallow the bitter pill and, and we'll, I'll just... Uh, I'll just condemn myself and, and isolate, or what do they call it? Quarantine myself. No, Jesus came into the world to provide a, a third choice. A third choice. He's the God who can change Jabez, who can change Jacob into Israel if you want him to. Can you say praise the Lord? So that's how I know that Jabez took responsibility for himself before God because it says he called upon the God of Israel. The God who changed Jacob and Israel can change me. Too many believers today want relief from the pain of judgment 
and rejection that they receive from others due to their own bad behavior. They want to enlarge their territory so that it'll be a kind of a buffer zone between them and those that criticize them because of the pain they bring. There's nothing quite as cruel, nothing as disheartening than powerful rich people who bring pain and hurt others. And there's nothing also quite as wonderful as powerful, prosperous people who are rich in kindness and rich in love and in charity. The Bible says Jabez was more honorable because rather than excusing himself, he sought God for deliverance from the evil that induced him to bring pain to others. Yes, Jabez wanted to prosper. He wanted God to enlarge his territory, but he wanted his life to be full of grace and love and worthy of enlargement. That's the missing piece in all of these arguments. People are fighting today because they feel that they're not respected. We lost something a few decades ago. That simple thing that my father taught me, that probably some of you are old enough that you had parents that taught you. Do you want a better life? Be a better person. Do you want to be respected? Learn to be respectable. Learn to manifest qualities that others respect, that are worthy of praise, if you want praise from people. Now let me close with this idea, and I want to bring the, the feature of God's love into this whole thing. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 3, Chapter 12 is the concept that God, God's idea of expansion occurs through His love and the personal responsibility that, that it incurs and develops within us. And in that 1 Thessalonians 3.12 it says, And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in agape, in love, for one another and for all people just as we do Love you. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound. There you've got the desire of God to want to expand the territory of your life. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love, in agape. You see, God wants to enlarge the agape of people who make it their personal responsibility to show kindness to others rather than insisting that others accept them. You must choose. Now, my, everything I've set up to this point, don't miss this, because here is the big finish, if you will. This is the point that you want to get a hold of. Everything said needs to distill down to this. You must choose whether you will live to be loving or, or live to be loved. What is your aim in life? As you direct your own life, are you directing your life to being loving or are you directing your life to be loved? Are you constantly thinking about how you're not loved or are you thinking about 
how you can love those who are around you. And let me tell you why you pick one or the other. It's because you cannot simultaneously do both. Jesus couldn't, and if he couldn't, then what makes you think that either, number one, you can, or number two, that you have a right to? Jesus came not to be loved, although he is loved more than any man. He's also hated more than any man. Jesus came with one focus. How do I love the people around me? The very heavens declared it. Jesus himself said, for God so loved that he gave. You cannot love and give while at the same time being concerned about being loved and having your want and your need for love to be fulfilled. Does that mean that God doesn't want you to be loved? Does it possibly, does it possibly infer that the Lord doesn't care whether you're ever loved in your life? Of course, that, that can't be right. It can't be right because agape created reality and created the universe. And we know that God is love. He's made all things through, for, and by love. But it's how we receive the love that we so desperately need. It's not by going out and demanding it or even going out looking for it. It's by going out and giving it. It's by giving that love. This is the... This is the key in interpersonal relationships that have become deadlocked in strife. This is the key in people's lives who have found themselves in a feeling of pointlessness about their life. And what is the point of my life? Somewhere we have lost touch with the commission of God to go out and give love. You will never feel more fulfilled, more truly happy then when you get so close to, to God, so close to the Father, that you just want to give His love to others, that you just are amazed at how He loves you, and you want to share that love, you want to give that love. You see, the greatest difference between human love and agape is that human love is fixated on getting others to accept and like you while agape is focused on giving God's love to others. You cannot operate in both of those simultaneously. You have to give yourself to one or to another. And so I'll finish with this, this comment for our altar call. As I said, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. You see, the more you walk with God in His love for you, the more sensitive you will become to your own tendencies to cause pain in other people. The more you will want to use your fellowship with God to be free of that curse that causes pain in others. The less you will obsess over people liking you, the more free you will be to have God's love for them. And then finally, when you get that sorted out and you've really met the love of God and you're, you've got that love relationship with the Lord, then you will pray and ask God to expand your territory and He will gladly do it. He wants to add increase.
He wants to expand your life. He wants to bring people in, both who will be your friends and support you and love and understand you, and people who are prickly and difficult because, frankly, they need you. And they need that love that you're walking in. You see, this all comes down to understanding that our God is a God of love. He has no interest in expanding anything other than His love. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Close your Bible. Stand with me this morning.